Hey, this last week, Anna and I were, we were out of town. We went to a little town called Levita. Anyone ever been to Levita? Yep, one person. Uh, so I had no idea where this was. It's southwest of Pueblo. Yep, there are things there. And so a little town of 800 people, uh, Levita. And we, were, we did this marriage retreat. There are a few other couples there. And we got to explore Levita. This couple just, just blessed us with a week away. Uh, to enjoy, you know, enjoy each other, focus on God. They had uh, side-by-sides and four-wheelers and lots of hiking. Uh, if you didn't know, Levita suffered a major wildfire about five years ago that ended up destroying most of the forest there. And so while we were there, we were just, you know, we're hearing stories about how all of this just used to be forest and it had burned down and now they have these views that they had never had before. And so Levita, this fire was actually the third largest fire in Colorado history. Burned, I believe, 112,000 acres, 108,000 acres. And so a wildfire, if you didn't know, if you lived in Colorado, I lived in Colorado most of my life. Every single summer, we pray against wildfires and pray for rain, right? That's just the thing that you do when you're a Coloradan. But this wildfire spread at a rate of 14 miles per hour. So it's covering a massive amount of space. And this fire burned from July to September. So for a month, month and a half, two months, they were, they were dealing with this fire. And so as I was there and I was seeing the destruction, these are, are pictures that, that Anna took. As I was seeing this destruction of the fire, I was also marinating on the book of Acts and kind of where we're at. And, and what I saw was that the early church in the book of Acts was very much like a wildfire. It was viral, it was unstoppable, it was an all-consuming movement. And so we are in week nine of our series that we've called Kingdom Builders, and we've been in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bibles, if you would open with me to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to go through that whole chapter there. So Acts chapter 16, we see this unstoppable movement continue, this unstoppable wildfire consume the early church, can really take over the modern world. And, and I love, I, I was looking and, and I was finding these passages as I was there marinating and, and check out what, what scripture says is like a, is like a fire. Uh, Hebrews twelve twenty nine. our God is an all-consuming what? Fire. Our God is an all-consuming fire. Matthew three eleven. John is baptizing, uh, and he says, "I will baptize you with water, but he who comes after will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire." Uh, Isaiah sixty six says, "For our God arrives like a wildfire." Acts two three. One translation says, "Then like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks." Acts 13, 49, God's word spread like wildfire through the entire region. What we see in the book of Acts is not like we see our church today. I was, I was looking and I was doing some research, and over and over again, this research is saying that the church in America specifically is declining, losing about 100,000 Christians a year. And so we look at this and we say, okay, we have the same Holy Spirit, right? We have the same word of God. We have more of the word of God than they had. Why is the church declining? And I think one of the reasons the church is declining, and I've said this before multiple times, that, that I think that many people view the church like a museum 
instead of a movement. That we come and we visit the museum, we come and we visit the monument, we pay our respects, we do our thing one day a week, and then the rest of our week, it doesn't impact us. But the church, the early church, was like a wildfire that every single member was a spark that spread throughout the entire region. Church, what would it look like if all of us in this room viewed ourselves as the spark in our workplace, the spark in our families to start a wildfire for the movement of God? What would that look like? What would that look like practically? I love, I love thinking about that. So what we see here in week nine is more of what we've seen, more of the gospel, more of people trusting in Jesus, more churches being planted, more people mocking the gospel, more churches that were planted, planting other churches. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take things from the macro level and look at the micro level. I want to zoom in because we've talked a lot about the cities that have trusted in Jesus, but today I want to look at some different stories of people that have trusted in Jesus. What we have in Acts early on is 3,000 people trust in Jesus. They trusted Christ in Pentecost. Then later, 5,000 people come to know Christ at Solomon's portico. Then the, the gospel begins to transform a bunch of cities, and that's why we are here today. At one point, Christianity was about 51% of the whole Roman population, which was most of the known world, was Christians because of this movement. And my belief in, in, in Kate, we'll get a little history nerd here, my belief is that Constantine didn't make Christianity, that Christianity made Constantine. That he got on board with the wildfire was spreading, and he trusted in Jesus and the whole the whole nation started trusting in Jesus. He hopped on to the viral movement of Christians. So today I want to take this from the high level and really use our imagination and put ourselves in Scripture. And when I say use your imagination, I don't mean inserting things in the Scripture that aren't already there. That's called heresy. And the, back in the day, it used to be burned at the stake for things like that. We're not going to do that. We're going to use our imagination and put ourselves in this story, and we're going to discover what is true about God and what is true about us and what he wants for us this morning. We want to be moved by a text instead of just reading it. So many times when we read the word of God, it's just a text on a page and has no impact. But today, let's put ourselves in this story. And so the context for all of this, the gospel is spreading. It's starting to Paul has completed what's called his first missionary journey. He comes to this Jerusalem council where they're really talking about what the gospel really is. And do these uh, Gentiles, these non-Jews, now need to follow Jewish law? Or are they still bound by the law, specifically around this idea of circumcision? Do they need to be circumcised or not? And so they clear that up at the Jerusalem council, which Pete talked about last week. And and now we're moving forward, and the, the gospel continues to move forward. That the Gentiles are now included in God's promise, they're not excluded. And so check out what it says, 16.5. It says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. They increased in numbers daily. They were strengthened in the faith. Kid, that, kids, that's one of your buzzwords on there if you want to fill that out. And so the churches grew, they increased, they, they started to spread, but really this was still kind of a localized movement around, around like the Middle East, some parts of Asia, that this was a real localized movement until what happens next. 
uh, check out 16.6. And they, they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been, been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, what? Okay, the gospel is growing. The gospel is moving. The gospel is like a wildfire. It's going, it's going into communities, and then it stops. It stops. The, the, they were going to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and it stops. It's growing. It's moving. Lives are being transformed. People are being baptized, and God says, stop. Okay, Paul, Paul's like, okay, what, what's going on? God, what, what are you doing? And then it says in verse 7, And when they came up to Maesia, uh, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, imagine, put yourself in Paul's shoes, right? You're part of this viral movement. You have this message of Jesus being resurrected from the dead that's changing the world. You're going, you're, you're preaching, you're telling people about Jesus, people's lives are being transformed, you're baptizing people, and you're going city to city, and people are trusting in Jesus, and you go to the next city, and God says, no, we don't want you to, I don't want you to go there. And then you go, okay, okay God, I, I got that, door closed. And he goes to the next one and says, no, stop. Church, I so badly wanted to preach on the next part of this, the part that's nice and encouraging and it's so logistical and it makes so much sense and it flows together, but God really told me that, that for some of us we need this message and that's simply this. I kept coming back to this is that sometimes God stops you. Sometimes God stops you. Sometimes you are doing exactly what you are called to do, and it ends. And you question, God, where, where are you? What do you want me to do? Where am I supposed to go? I was, I was doing this. I was following you. I thought I was following you. And God, it, what, it, the door is, is closed. Maybe God's promises have failed. Maybe I've failed. Maybe God's done with me. I wanted to call this message Confessions of a Failed Church Planter. Listen, when we, we planted uh, Center Church, when we planted Center Church, I didn't see it lasting 20 months. We had the funding, we had the people, we had a building, we, we were growing, we were moving, we had momentum, we were praying, we were evangelizing, we were baptizing, we were fasting. We had 32 people who trusted in Jesus. We baptized 13 people, including my daughter. We were doing the good things. We, we had so many people who came in and said, I was so far away from God, and now I've, I've never felt closer to Jesus. And then God said, stop. And then God said, stop. Paul was preaching, he was evangelizing, he was baptizing, he was planting, he was planting churches from city to city. He had people in that city in Phrygia and, and Myasia, right? He had these people that needed to hear the gospel, and God said, don't, don't go there. Stop. Now, most people believe that what actually stopped Paul was a sickness, that Paul actually, or not, yeah, Paul actually got sick here, and that's what stopped him from entering these cities. Why do people believe that? Because uh, later on in verse 10, we see that uh, Luke joins him on this journey, starts to use the word we, and so he's describing what we experienced here. And what was Luke's profession? Luke was a doctor. And so Dr. Luke now joins on this journey and helps Paul move along. 
But imagine what, what Paul is feeling. Okay, I've, I've done all of this, right? God, I've seen you move. I've seen you baptize. And, and then he says, stop. Imagine what he's feeling. What um, Paul at this time was probably in his mid-40s with the average lifespan at that time in the Middle East of about 35. And so he's probably thinking at that time, okay, I'm, I'm done. God, you're done with me. You're done with this ministry. If you were to go back in time at that point and ask, ask Paul, okay, what does God want you to do? He probably said, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what God wants me to do. I thought I was supposed to go here, but God, God has a different direction. I don't, I don't know what that is. Have you ever been in that place? Like, God, what do, you want me to, what do you want me to do? It feels like I keep running into doors and running into closed doors. What do you want from my life? I've been asked that question a lot lately. Mitch, what, what's the vision for your future? Where, where are you going? And I, I, don't, I don't know. I thought I was going to be at Center Church forever. I had no, no plan on the merger, right? I had no plan on that. I thought we were doing the good work. And God said, stop to, to merge. And what Paul learned and what I'm learning is that um, when God is, we, you know, we, we sometimes ask this question, when, when God are you going to open this door? When God are you going to open this door so that I can meet someone that will you know, be, be my partner forever? When God are you going to open this door and God sometimes says, I'm not opening that door because I don't want you to step through it. And so many times we're stubborn, right? And we're knocking on the door. We're trying to kick in the door. And God's saying, I'm not going to open that door. Go somewhere, go somewhere else. And I love what Luke says next. Because what Luke says next, it's such a short verse in all of the scripture, all of the 66 books. This verse, really, you read it and you're like, oh, let's put it up there. What's the, what's the next one here? It says, so, so passing by my Asia, they went down to Troas. You're like, wait, Mitch, this, okay. But this is, this is incredibly powerful. And I think this is the hinge point of the whole rest of the book. Because Paul, uh, Paul wanted to go into these cities. He wanted to preach the gospel, but God stops him twice and he goes to Troas. Well, what's in Troas? Troas is a port city to, your, to Europe. So what Paul does next is he takes the gospel into Europe. How many of us are from European descent, right? The, the gospel then spreads to Europe and throughout the world. If this doesn't happen, if God doesn't stop him in these places, the gospel might not have gone to Europe and we would not be sitting here today. That this verse is so powerful. It happened. The reason that the, the, the gospel leaves the ancient Near East and moves to the rest of the world is because he went to Troas. And this is what I want you to learn. While we might be stopped, the Holy Spirit cannot be stopped. The Holy Spirit cannot be stopped. Paul goes one direction, then stops, then another direction, then stops. And he's thinking, God, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Then Paul gets this vision here of this man from Macedonia, and he must go preach the gospel there. And what happens next changes the history of the world because the Holy Spirit cannot be stopped. Sometimes God stops you. Sometimes you think you're going the right direction. Sometimes you, you know it, right? You feel it. Good things are happening. You're supposed to be there. And God says, stop. Stop. It's hard to believe in the midst of it, 
but we get to play a role in the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The next three people that, that Luke describes, describes here all further the wildfire, the advancement of the wildfire of the gospel. Check out what Luke says next. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate, uh, went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed to, uh, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to a woman who, to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She was a what? Woman. She was a woman named Lydia. I want you to keep that in your mind, that she was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed against us. Here's what we know about Lydia. Lydia was a, a religious person, right? She was studying there. She was, uh, you know, studying. She was super interested in a, in a city that was kind of plagued by Roman gods. She says, I'm not going to believe in those idols. I want to follow the true God. So she was super curious, right? Attending this Bible study down by the riverside. It says that she was a, a seller of purple goods from Thyatira. And so, um, but, but she, was, she was there um, in... Where's she at here? Uh, she was there in this other city. She was in, in Philippi, and so she's from Thyatira. So, so think of her. She's this seller. Uh, she's this uh, wealthy business owner, owns houses in multiple economic cities that really drove the economy of those cities. Think of this like she owned a house in New York and London and did really well, right? And so she's this good, moral, wealthy person. Uh, she had a place in both these cities. She rejected this paganism. And the Bible says that she heard Paul and her heart was open to the gospel and she was baptized. What you have here is a moral woman who was very successful. She was at church, but not a follower of Christ. She had not laid down her yes yet and trusted in Jesus and, start, and followed Christ. Yet it was at this place that she was at that Jesus steps in and saves her. And this was some of us. I call this the, the morally upright. We were religious. We were morally good. We weren't as bad as the person next to us in the comparison game. You weren't, we weren't terrible people. And in the middle of that, Jesus opened our eyes. And maybe we went to church or we didn't go to church. Or we, we kind of knew, knew about God, but we didn't ever follow him with our lives. And, and we were good kind of moral people. And in the middle of that, Jesus opened our eyes. And there was a turn there where we turned from being good and moral to being trust, trust, to trusting and following Jesus. We laid our whole life down and we laid our yes down before Jesus and we followed him. I want to ask you this question. Is this your story? You, maybe you, you grew up in church, you grew up in some religious background, and you were good and moral, and maybe compared to everyone else, compared to everyone else, you would say, I, I, was, I was pretty good. And then one day, Jesus caught your heart, he caught your attention, and you laid your yes down. Any, anybody in the room, that was your story. Feel free to raise your Nobody in the room. Okay. Nobody in here was a churchgoer who, who eventually trusted Jesus. Listen, that's the story we want for our kids, right? 
That's the story. We, nobody, nobody, else, nobody wants our kids to go through disaster. We all want our kids to be good, moral, and one day Jesus captures our heart. Don't be embarrassed by that. That's a great testimony. That's what we want. From there, the next woman I want you to look at has nothing in common to do with Lydia at all. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That means that she was demon-possessed and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to live the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, if you read this straight, it kind of looks like she's, she's kind of hyping them up, right? She's like Flava Flav. Anyone know Flava Flav? Right? Public enemy. Yeah, boy! She's like hyping them up. And some of you, listen, I know that some of you, like I won, some of you I lost. And I'm okay with that. But I know I just split the, the audience right here. But she was, it seems, kind of seems like she was hyping them up. And then G, like Paul turns around and casts out a demon. You're like, what's, what's going on here? But what has actually happened is this woman is mocking them. Going day by day saying, look at this, this joke. They think this Jesus is real and just following these guys around for multiple days. And so finally, Paul gets, or, um, yeah, Paul gets annoyed, right? He gets annoyed at this happening day after day and just turns around and casts out a demon. And, and I, I believe that this girl here became a, a Christian and joined the church at Philippi. Why do, why do I believe that? Uh, verse 19, it says that her owners saw that the hope of gain was gone. And so here's a little demonology from Jesus, right? Not me, it's from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that when a demon leaves a person, if it is not replaced by something else, mainly the Holy Spirit, the demon is not replaced by the Holy Spirit, it says that seven other demons will come in and it'll be worse for that person than before. And so we're not going to get it into deliverance ministry or any of that stuff. And I know that we have kids in the room. So kids, it's, it's okay, all right? But when the Holy Spirit comes in, that place is now uninhabitable. And so what happens is that the owners see that there's no gain there anymore. And so they cannot use this woman. And, and so uh, there's no hope for her. And I believe that the Holy Spirit filled that place so that she could not be filled with demons. Now, if I were to ask, similar to I asked the first question, how many of you were demon-possessed fortune tellers who happened to be slaves? My guess would there'll be a couple of you, right? Because, and listen, I'm not, okay, Drew, this is, this is from the center side of the merge, not from the forefront side, okay? They're the, they're the demon-possessed, oh, I'm kidding. But how about this? And, and I, I, don't, I don't believe that there are many people in here who were demon-possessed slave girl, fortune-telling slave girls. I, I just, I don't think that might apply to you. But we have a girl here who, by her steps or by the steps of others, had given herself over to licentiousness and a lifestyle of depravity that consumed her life. And I love that this girl's story is right next to Lydia's. Because what we have in Lydia is we have this moral person 
who did good things, and Jesus caught her attention. And then right next to that story, we have this story of a demon-possessed slave girl who lived a life of depravity. And yet Jesus steps into her mess and saves her as well. And so I, I would call this group the tarnished. We're tarnished. This girl's completely busted up, taken advantage of, abused, given herself over to depravity. And those of us, we look at Lydia and we say, oh, that's nice. But then we can resonate more with this story. And whether it's our fault or the fault of others, we have treated ourselves cheaply. And we have given ourselves over to things like drugs and alcohol and abuse. And yet in this dark space, in the middle of this darkness, Jesus comes in and he saves. He ransoms. How many of you would say that's my story? That's my story. I was in the middle of darkness. I was in a dark place and Jesus stepped in to my darkness. Now we have one more story here. We have one more story. What happens next is, is these guys, these owners take Paul and Silas into the middle of the square and they're thrown into jail, right? So these uh, Paul and Silas are thrown into jail. And so they bring in a jailer and the jailer at that time was probably a high ranking Roman official, right? He had seen some things. He's been at war. He had seen some, some really bad things and they give him over to this jailer and the jailer could have thrown these men in just, just, just in jail, but what does it say? It says that they threw them into the innermost part of the jail and put them in stocks, right? And so this place, the innermost part of the jail, was the lowest part of the jail. And so if you imagine Roman culture, 2,000 years ago, no plumbing, everything rolled downhill. And so, yeah, yeah, they're there, and they didn't need to be in this place, right? But this jailer had all the authority to do whatever he wanted with them. And so he puts them in this place, puts them in stocks. If you don't know what stocks are, it's kind of their body was contorted in ways that weren't natural. So there they are being tortured in this uh, stinky place right there in, in living in human waste. And this guy then, we can see this jailer is a little bit messed up. He had probably seen some things and is now taking those things out on Paul and Silas. And we see this, right? We see this with, with our, our friends, our, our men who go to, to war, right? They see things and they come back and they're just never the same. We have a, a definition for that now, right? Post-traumatic stress syndrome, that they deal with this. And this man was probably suffering from something like that and took it out on these apostles. And so the apostles are locked up and an earthquake happens. And, and by the way, if you ever want to experience an earthquake, just lock up one of God's men. That, that happened over and over in the book of Acts. You ever want to experience an earthquake? I've lived in Colorado my whole life, never experienced that. But if you ever want to experience one, lock up one of Jesus' boys. And so uh, verse 27, picking it up in verse 27. When the jailer woke up and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword. And since there were kids in the room, I would skip that part. Supposing that the prison, you could read it up there. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are here. By the way, look at the love that Paul had. Can you imagine, right? Being tortured, being thrown in prison, being in this situation. Like, what would, what would you do in that situation? Would you just walk out? He, he loves the jailer. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and the, with trembling and fear fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? Okay, highlight this next line, underline it, memorize it. This is it, right? This is the gospel. What must I do to be saved? If you want to know, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then what happens? And they spoke the word of God to him and all who were in the house. And he took him the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all of his family then they brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This man was messed up, right? Rome was known for brutality, killing, crucifying up to 30,000 people at once on the roadside. That this, this guy was pretty jacked up. Even today, we experience this. This brother is bitter, he's angry, he's violent. And then a pivotal situation happens and he says, you know what? I'm going to end it. I'm done. I'm done with this. We call this the darkest place. And I'm not going to have you raise your hands if you've been here. But this is the, the darkest place. You have, you have some things going. Maybe you've written that note. You're in the, the darkest place that you could ever imagine. This man was in the darkest place. And yet in that darkest place, Jesus steps in and he saves this was the story of some of us. We were angry. We were bitter. We were so far gone. There's no way of coming back. And Jesus steps into that situation and he saves us. And so then we are saved to then be ambassadors back into those places. This is that he brought them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love the simplicity of that. For this man, right, for this jailer, it's not forget about all the bad things that you've done. It's not do all of these things, take all of these steps, go to all this counseling, get your mind right, and then you'll be saved. It says what? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And what happens? He's baptized immediately. They led their whole household to faith. They trusted in Jesus. And this, this guy starts a, a home church right there. We were all sheep who had gone astray and we all needed rescuing by the good shepherd. This is what church planting is all about. It's about reaching people no matter where they're at. They might look like Lydia, right? They might look like they're, they're good and moral and good church-going people. We just spent time with four groups from Texas. And if you know anything about the Bible Belt, they are all like this, right? They all have a church. That's where Jesus saved me, right? That, that I was a, a church kid. I was a good moral person, and Jesus saved me out of that. This is why we do any of this, that the church is like a wildfire. The church is for people like Lydia. The church is for people like the slave girl. The church is for those who are in the deepest, darkest place that they can never see themselves trusting in Jesus, that we need to take the gospel to all of them. And I still believe that this message can change Denver. And I believe that this message can change the rest of the world, just like it changed the ancient cities then. Church, we need to remember, those of you who have been, I just want to talk to you right now. If you're not a follower in Jesus, I'm going to talk just to the followers of Jesus right now. Church, I believe that we need to remember what it's like to be lost. We need to remember what it's like to think that our good morals can, can fix us. We need to remember what it's like to be addicted 
We need to remember what it's like to be in those places. We need to remember what it's like to be in the darkest place. I believe the reason that church planting doesn't happen, the reason why we're not experiencing this wildfire is because when we get saved, we're like, okay, I'm saved. I'm I'm good, right? It's me and Jesus. We're on this journey together. But we need to remember what it's like to be lost. We need to remember what it's like to be in those places. So then we could take the gospel back into those spaces that God saved us from. Listen, you were good and moral, me too. Listen, you, you were given over to depravity and addiction, me too. Listen, you were in the darkest place, thinking that you should just end it. Hey, I was, I was there too. And listen, it's not the works that they do that saves them. It's what? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I love what Lydia did. God opened Lydia's heart and she became a Christian. And Lydia opened her home and started a viral movement called the church. I love that message. And so this is what I want to do as as we close. I just want to give you a time to respond. No matter where you're at in your faith journey, if you're at a place where you're like, hey, I've been a, a Christian for many years, I want you to remember what it's like Put yourself back in those situations. Put yourself back in those steps that it was like before you trusted in Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. So if we would, just with our, our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's, let's pray. And what I love about this story with all of us here in this room is that the, the one who was mocking God was saved out of her mockery. The one who was filled with bitterness and anger, Jesus didn't light him up for that. He didn't let the earthquake consume him. It was the grace of God that invaded dark spaces. And Jesus said in the midst of that, you are mine. And so if, if you are in here this and you say, hey, I, have, I can identify with Lydia. I can identify with that slave girl. I can, I've, I'm in the darkest place and I need Jesus to save me. This is what I want you to do. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if you would like to trust in Jesus right now, if you want to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, you're my Savior. I've tried on my own and I can't get there. I want to put my faith in you this morning. Would you just slip up your hand? Would you just slip up your hand? And I would just love to pray for you. Amen. Amen. If you would, if you're making that decision for the first time today, just repeat these words in your heart after me. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything, but this prayer doesn't save you, but it's just a way to acknowledge to God that you're trusting in him. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you this morning. I trust you. I trust in your life, death, and resurrection for me. And that one day I will be with you face to face. Jesus, today I give my life to you. Well, if you are, if you are in that space, if you are trusting in Jesus, we're going to have a prayer team just kind of a, around here. So we'll have people in the back that are willing to, to pray with you to, to help lead you in your next step in your faith journey. If you're just going through something as well, just, just give that over to them. Let them lift that up for you. Let me, let me pray for us as we continue our morning. Jesus, as we continue our worship, would we never forget the grace that you poured out for us? Would you continue to guide us? God, would 
this start here, this wildfire of your grace and your mercy in this community start here and spread through the, the city of Denver to the ends of the earth. God, would you transform our hearts and minds? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.